I have a friend of mine who, good morning, um, and she's on the rowing team for Indiana University. Has anybody ever been on a team like that or been on a big boat and been on a, ro- a rowing boat like that before? Okay. Um, have any of you been in a rowboat before? Let me ask that question. All right. How many of you have actually been the rower in a rowboat? Okay. Is it easy or is it challenging? When the first time you've done it, the very first time you've ever done it, it's a little bit, yeah, because if you don't do it in alignment, you're going to go different directions and in a circle and go kind of crazy, right? Um, How many of you have never been in a rowboat? Okay, about eight of you. You're from Alaska somewhere. Um, How many of you... Those eight of you, you've all seen rowboats, right? On TV or whatever. Okay, so, so we all get this. We all get the concept of a rowboat. We're in week six now on alignment, and our icon symbol for this week and for our connect groups is going to be the rowboat. And I think the, it's, it's just obvious because you can get the whole concept of rowing and how you have to be in, in cadence with each other or you're going to just go in circles or go a different direction or, or maybe drown. I, I don't know. So we're going to talk about rowing for today a little bit and how, how valuable that, that is. But you know what? I, I don't want to spend much time talking to you about the value of alignment because I've already done that for like five weeks. Okay, so I mean, for the last five weeks, I've, I've mentioned the value of a company. When the company is in alignment, things go well, things are profitable. When a company's not in alignment, it's not a good place to work. I've talked about a family and how when a family is in alignment together, it's a great family and things get done and things are productive. And when things are not in alignment, they, 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 they don't work well. A marriage, for goodness sakes. When husbands and wives are misaligned, there's just like trouble with a capital T and ends with an E, right? There's just lots of trouble like that. So, so I'm hoping by now, in week six, we've already done five of these, I'm hoping by now that you start applying this. So if I were sitting with you, you know, somewhere at Starbucks, I would love to hear your story of alignment, I would love to hear how the last five weeks you've begun to connect some dots and put some things together and say, okay, this is how my life's a little bit better because of the last five Sundays on, on the value of alignment. Now, the advantages are just, are just huge. I mean, I, I just can't tell you enough advantages of this whole thing about alignment. In my own life, when I'm in alignment with God, and I'm in alignment with God's scriptures, life goes well for me. When I'm not in alignment with God, and I'm not in tune with God's spirit, life doesn't go as well for me. Am I the only one in the room, or is that true for you as well? It's exactly that way in, in, in our marriage. We've been married 30 years, and those years that we've gotten together and we've been in alignment, things have gone well. And those years when we've not been in alignment... Nightmare on Elm. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But it, it, it doesn't go well. And, and I can say the same thing with parenting. Danita and I are very different in personality. But when we are together in alignment as parents, th- things have gone really, really well. Did I mention I went to Israel? Did I tell you I've been to Israel before? About, about three weeks ago, we got back from Israel. 
while we were in Israel, we actually saw, it was a great, great story, a boat, a 2,000-year-old boat. And there was a, uh, in the Sea of Galilee, there was an eight-year drought less than 20 years ago, eight-year drought. And during the eighth year of the drought, some guys were fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and they see some wood, a wooden structure, sticking out of the water. And um, here's kind of, let me show you this first picture. They call the archaeologists, and the archaeologists then put foam all around this boat in the water, and they get a crane, a giant crane, because once this boat hits the air, it's been 2,000 years in water, and they're highly concerned that it's just going to disintegrate. So they spent a whole lot of time, a whole lot of research on figuring out how to get this thing up, up out of the water. So that, that's kind of the first picture. Second picture is this. That's kind of the wood that's left of it. And it's now in, in a museum. Nobody's saying that that's the boat that Jesus, you know, got up and said, peace, be still to the storm. Nobody's saying that's the boat that Peter, James, and John were fishing in. But it is a boat that's 2,000 years old. And it was a, it's a rowboat just like in the days of Jesus. And what else is really cool about this boat is it has 12 different types of wood in it. 12 types of wood. I don't know. Maybe it's a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. But anyway, you know, we, we get this. Rowboats have been in existence now for a long, long time. And many of us have, have done that. And so we're going to take that symbol today and just talk about the power of alignment. So what happens if a church is in alignment? What happens when a church is not in alignment? How many of you have been a part of a church that's not been in alignment before in your your life? Okay. It's disaster. It's not fun. Nobody wants to go to church like that. Uh, Right? About six years ago, the senior leadership team of this church all got in alignment. And about six years ago, that's when really things began to take off and we became a very healthy church when we as the senior leadership team got ourselves in and under alignment. So today, we're going to do another how-to, another how to get into alignment. And so we've talked about like how to sow and reap with, with giving. We've talked about how to listen. We've talked about how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We talked about how to remember with communion. That was one of my favorites so far. How, how the great expectations we ought to have around the Lord's Supper. Today, I want to talk about how to leave church. I'm not talking about don't leave church. I'm just talking about what do we do? Because I think we kind of get it. I think we kind of know how to come to church. If you've been going to church long enough, you kind of know how to come to church. But do you know how to leave church? And I've never heard a sermon preached on that. And after first service, there might be a really good reason why I've never heard that before. Um, But I want to talk about how do we leave church. And by the way, we just got a new permission to do a shared driveway. We got a new driveway going to be on our property. So you'll be able to get in and get out of our property much quicker. The city of Safety Harbor approved this Monday night. Praise God. That was cool. Yeah, very cool. So there's going to be another ingress and egress on our property, be able to empty the parking lot faster, get on faster, and that'll, that'll help us, obviously. But I'm not talking about how to leave church on your cars or your bicycles or your motorcycles. I think we kind of get how to come to church. I do. I think we kind of know, like, what to wear, right? 
I think we kind of know, like, what to say at church. I mean, there's some churches, you know, that are real religious. It's brother this and sister that. And that's just kind of not a harborside, right? I mean, we're like, dude, why are you here? You know, no, just kidding. So, so I, I think we know, like, what to say. I think we kind of, like, know what to wear. I, I think we know it's okay to smile at harborside. We laugh at this church. We have a good time at this church. Um, I, I th- but I'm not always sure we know what God's expectations are for us when we leave. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because if we can get in alignment today on how to leave church, your family will be forever changed. Your community will be forever changed. Your school, your work, your neighborhood, your business. If we can get in alignment on what does it look like for us to row together as we leave church today and next Sunday and every Sunday, what, what would that look like? So let's start with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Everybody in the room wants to live a worthy life. Every parent, every grandparent in the room wants their grandkids to live a worthy Everybody in the room has got this one down pat. We all want to live a worthy life. And he says, live a worthy life of the calling that you have received. And this is a great verse. Paul's in prison. And he's encouraging the believers at Ephesus to live up to the calling that they have received. Now, this is interesting to me. This past week, um, I called a friend of mine. She just graduated from law school, and she just got sworn in. She's now a brand-new lawyer. And this young lady was in our connect group, our small group in our house, all through high school and all through college. And so for over six years, every Wednesday night, we had a bunch of high schoolers, and then then they graduated college age to our house for, for six years. And so she just earned a law degree. She earned it. And she just got sworn in, and now she is the big-time lawyer. I called her up. I'm so happy for her. She earned it. Some of you are doctors, and you went to school for about 100 years, and you earned the right to practice, a license to practice medicine. Some of you are nurses, and you, you earned it. Some of you are teachers, and you earned it. Some of you got, you know, all different kinds of certifications and all. You, you, you've earned that. And so probably your business is doing well and you're doing well and, and, and maybe your kids are doing because they've earned it. They, they've, you've, you've worked hard. Now, I know God gave you the gifts. I know every good and perfect gift comes. I, I get all that. But you still went to law school. You still went to nursing school. You still graduated. So you earned it. Paul is saying here for the first three chapters, you didn't earn it. You can't earn it. You've got to receive it. You have a calling from your heavenly Father. It doesn't matter how hard you work, how many hoops you jump through, how many you know, old ladies you help across the street. You can't earn your salvation. In fact, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is saying you were dead, and Joy did this in communion as well, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were separated from God. You were alienated from God. There was a dividing wall. There was this wall of hostility. There's nothing you can do. However, I expect you to live a life worthy of the calling. And by the way, you received it. You you didn't earn it. 
And so the first three chapters, Paul's making this really, really clear that you have received this amazing calling, which is true for every one of you in this room. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has poured out his spirit on you, and you get to go to heaven because of Jesus. You get your sins forgiven because of Jesus. You get the power of God's spirit living inside of you all because of Jesus. You didn't earn any of that. But, here's the but. However, moreover, you're supposed to live a life worthy of your calling. So what does that look like? And I, I thought about that for quite some time. And so I've entitled this sermon, How to Leave Church. What do we do when we leave? And if we all can be in alignment on what this looks like, wouldn't the church be healthier? Wouldn't the schools be greater? Wouldn't the community? So I think, I think we all kind of get this, don't we? So I, I want to give you some of these right now. If you want to write these on your bulletin, great. I'm going to give you a little, short little a sentence and the scripture verses that actually go along with this. So here we go. Here, here they are. Number one, what does it look like to leave church? Well, Paul gives us 10 of these. In Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us 10 steps, 10 pieces, and they're just crystal clear. The first one is speak the truth. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. How do you live a life worthy of your calling? You speak the truth. How do we leave church? Can you imagine if just the believers, I'm not talking about all the heathens you work with. I'm not talking about all the heathens that are in your neighborhood or in your school. I'm I'm, I'm talking about, can you imagine if just all the Christian believers in business, in church, in education, in medicine, in engineering, can you just imagine what it would look like if all of us learned to be honest and just speak the truth. That's how we leave church. Number two, we manage anger. When you're angry, he says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Jesus got angry. But Jesus always got angry at the right people at the right time for the right reasons. I tend to get angry for all the wrong reasons at all the wrong people all the wrong time. Am I the only unholy person in the room? You know what I'm saying? But but this is one of those areas that we got to get a handle on. Because as we leave church, this makes a huge impression on, on our community. So we learn to manage anger. Number three, we don't give the enemy access. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. I, I think we give the devil way too much credit. I, I think we're looking for like a skeleton behind every tree. I, 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 the devil's been defeated. He, he, he's been defeated. What happens is he has been defeated. What happens is we give him access. There's all kind of windows that we open up. There's all kind of doors that we open up. The Bible talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, we walk in the light, and when we're in the light, things are going well. It's, it's when I step out of the light is when that darkness comes unto me. 
And, and so I, I, this is a real clear verse on, for goodness sakes, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him access to your life. And so what you do and how you go about it and what you listen to and what you watch and all that kind of stuff, you can just be opening windows, opening doors for the devil to come into your life at all the time. Let's look at another one, number four, industrious. How do we leave church? Well, Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Now, again, can you just imagine this? If, if, if every employer all around us had believers who were industrious, and the believer's output was so much greater than anybody else's, can you imagine the impact that the church would have by all the believers showing up on time, doing more than what's expected, giving it 100. Can you just imagine what the, the name of the, hey, those are believers. We want to hire believers. It says, but doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Again, they're resourceful and they're rewarded and they're able to bless other people. How do we leave church? Look at another one. We watch our words closely. And as a person who's very verbal, this verse haunts me. Okay? Do not, do not let, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look at the next one. We live by the Spirit. I wish I had time for this. But there's about 18 different verses all through the book of Ephesians about living by the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, that's something that you received. You received the Holy Spirit for you. And so he's saying live by the Spirit. Don't, Don't live by the flesh. Again, how do you leave church? You live by the Spirit. Look at the next one. I call this take out the trash. I don't know what else to call it. Um, I like this one, take out the trash. Ephesians 4.31, here's the trash. This is the trash inside of us. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. When, When the trash is still in there, we're not leaving church smelling very good. When we got the trash inside of us, we go to work and we reek. Okay, so we we take out the trash. Look look at the next one. We model Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4.32. How do we leave church? Just if we're in alignment, that every day we we try to model Christ. We be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. How do you leave church? Look at the next one. We embrace superior character. You know, sometimes our character is not a whole lot different in the world, but it should be. Our character should be stellar. We've, we've received a calling. We, we, have, we have the spirit of the living king living inside of us. He says, but, but among you, there must not even be a hint. I like that word hint. Circle that word hint. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity. Again, just imagine if the believers, just the believers, we're not expecting the world to be sexually pure. We're not expect. Why would we expect that? But if just the believers had sexual integrity, 
what impact would that make for the kingdom of God today? Or of any kind of impurity, or of greed. This is character, because these are improper for God's what? Holy, holy people. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I then a prisoner of the Lord, I'm asking you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Look at the next one. Let's go down one more after superior character. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish the verse, did I? Uh, verse 4 says, nor, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. They're just out of place. Out of place. All right, look at the next one. The next one is, I live to please him. And there's two verses here, Ephesians 5.10 and 5.15. The first sentence is 5.10. So I, I, how do I leave church? I figure out what it takes to please him and find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 10 and verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then in the theology, and I, I know sometimes you get tired with theology, but I want you to get this. This is important to me because it's important to him, and he wrote it. So here, here's what I want you to get. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, here's why you want to leave church well. Here's why this, this makes a difference. Because Paul says, by the way, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and you were called one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And we take that little bitty section of Scripture, and we get it so out of context. I've had this discussion 150 times at least in the last 30 years, where somebody will say to me, well, you know what? I, I, I can't be baptized again. Because it says there's only like one baptism. My friends, that has got nothing to do with the context of this verse. The context of this verse is there's only one real God. Because everywhere you went in Ephesus, you ran into multiple gods. Let me show you just a picture of just a few. They had multiple gods everywhere. And these statues were on every corner, on every street. So going like from here walking from here to downtown Safety Harbor, there'd be two dozen. There'd be two dozen different statues, two dozen different gods, and they're all different gods representing all different kinds of things. And so when the Apostle Paul here is saying, he's saying, all these other gods aren't real. All these other gods are not what you want to identify with. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is an identification. And he's saying there's only one Lord. There's not multiple gods. There's only one faith. There's only one father. There's only one identification. There's only one baptism. And the theology of this is what is so potent and so powerful for us that we've got to understand. They had all these gods and goddesses everywhere. And if you would walk through the city of Ephesus, Paul is saying to them, these aren't real. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. All right, look at the next slide. Let's see the next one. He goes back to verse 1. I'm going back to verse He doesn't. I'm going back to verse 1. And I want you to get this. So we're going to say this out loud together. Here we go. Ready? All right, here we go. All six of you. Here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have a calling. Your father has called you to righteousness. All right, how do we do that? Verse 2. Verse 2 tells us how to do that. 
Be completely humble and gentle. That's the word for meek. Be humble and meekness just is power under, under control. And be patient. You bear with one another in love. Verse 4 says this. Why? Because there's one body. There's one spirit. Just you're called to one hope. Verse 5. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Look at verse 6. There's one God, there's one Father who is over all, through all, and in all. And then back to verse 3, that kind of ties this all together. It's actually in the middle of this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do you leave church? You maintain Christian unity. By embracing those 10 different steps, that's how you live a life worthy of your calling. So look at these 10 on the screen for just a second. And, and, and pick one. Don't, don't pick all 10. But I want you to pick one. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to think about this. And, and I'm going I'm to ask you to pick one before you leave. What's the next step of alignment with your calling. What, what's one of those? We'll come back to this. I, I, as a leader, I'm always fascinated by success, how people succeed. Why do some people succeed spiritually? Why do some people succeed in business? Why do some people succeed with morality? Why do some people, why, and why do others not? I'm, I'm always intrigued by that. And Dr. Henry Cloud who's a Christian psychologist, has actually been a, a student of this for years and years and years. And Dr. Henry Cloud's research has said there's a difference between obviously high achievers and people who aren't high achievers. He calls them high achievers. In other words, why do some people, why are some people high achievers and why are some people low achievers? And the Bible calls it fruit. The Bible just calls it bearing fruit. Why, why would some people, and he uses the same word, why would some people, why are some people fruitful, more fruitful, and why are other people like less fruitful? And Dr. Cloud's research was just, just fascinating. And I think you should be interested in this because I don't think anybody in the room wants to not be a high achiever. I'm talking to people in this room who want to achieve and you've, you've already achieved, but why? Why have you achieved or why aren't you achieving? And Dr. Henry Cloud's research was, was just fascinating to me because his conclusion is it's not about IQ. There are high achievers who have high IQ, and there are high achievers who have average IQ. It's not IQ. It's not family background. There are high achievers who have great family backgrounds, and there are high achievers who've come from capital D dysfunction. Now, there are more high achievers come from good families, but there are some, there's a high percentage who come from very, it's not about family background. It's not even about talent. He said, it's not about talent. He said, because some of the, some of the high achievers have a lot of talent and some of the high achievers have average of talent. He said, the difference is high achievers never go back to what doesn't work. High achievers don't go back to what doesn't work. Now, let me illustrate that. Because we all get lost in our problems. And we all fall into holes all through our lives. And, and so the hole could be morality. The hole could be industry, my job, my future, my abilities. The hole could be 
you know, addictions, alcohol. The whole could be about 25 different things. The whole's not the problem. The whole's not the point. The point is everybody has holes they fall into. All of us do. But the high achievers eventually figure out, I ain't going back to the same hole. I'm going to do something different. So it's kind of like every one of us has like five chapters. And let me illustrate this if I can. This is your life. And, and it doesn't matter what the hole is. It could, again, it could be health. It could be wealth. It could be control issues. It could be insecurity. It, could be, it doesn't matter what the hole is. Don't get confused about the hole. But here, here's your life, five chapters. Chapter number one, I'm taking a walk. I'm out taking a walk. And I fall into this hole, deep hole. And it takes a long time to get out. Finally, I'm out. Chapter number two, I'm taking a walk. And I fall into the same deep hole. And it takes a long time to get out. Chapter number three, I'm taking a walk. I see the hole this time, baby. I get too close to the hole. I get too close and I lean over and I fall into the same deep hole. And it takes a long time to get out. Chapter four, I'm taking a walk. I see the hole. I go around it. Chapter five, I'm taking a different street. I'm going this way. Now, the Bible calls that repentance, which just means change of direction. I'm going to turn directions. You see, high achievers in life, it's not IQ. It's not family background. It's not even skill or talent. High achievers in life, I'm not going to repeat that which isn't working. The Bible calls it repentance. You turn, you change, you walk a different direction. Look at those on the, on the screen. You see, if, if you speak lies, that's a hole. That's not going to work. How long is it going to take you to figure out that that hole is a bottomless pit? If you don't manage your anger, Everybody's moving away from you, around you. They don't want to be with you. They don't want to work with you. They don't want to do life with you. They don't want to be married to you. They don't want you to be their parent. How long will it take to... to, Do you keep repeating explosive, irresponsible anger? When when are you going to get some help with that? I keep giving the enemy access. I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. I wonder why I don't have any money. I wonder why I don't get any promotions. How long are you going to just have no filters on your mouth? How long will you live by the flesh? How long will you let the trash just get you all knotted up? When will you finally see? See, eventually, like right now, if some of you in this room, if you're not living for Jesus and you're living for yourself and you know you're in a deep hole, eventually, eventually, you're going to get out because the Holy Spirit of God is going to keep knock, 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 knocking on your heart eventually. And eventually you're going to climb out at home. And your 
character. So here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to pick one of these. Because you keep repeating it. And you keep falling in the same hole. And it's time. It's time to get out of this hole. It's time for you. See, high achievers, they don't keep doing the things that just don't work. I love that. I think that's called the scriptures. It's called repentance. So we start today with your faith in Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, that would sure make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? For you to receive a a calling from your heavenly father, your creator. I, I encourage you to be baptized into Christ. We're going to do this October 26, two more Sundays at Honeyman Allen Beach in the afternoon. Go to the Connectness and sign up for your baptism. What a perk that is. But I want to ask you now to pick one of those on the screen. And when you've got yours, you stand up. Now, I'm not going to make us do this for 50 minutes because if some of you don't stand up, that's just your deal. But I'm going to ask you to pick yours. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. And I'm going to ask you to stand up when you have your one that you're going to do. So if our prayer partners would come down front, Maybe today is your day to give your life to Christ. That'd be a great step. Maybe you need a little bit of help. You're in a hole today, and you need some help with a hole. Your hole, you're in a deep hole, and we're, we're going to pray for you and pray over you. Maybe today is your day to sign up for Christian baptism, to identify with the greatest event in all of history, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, this is your day to what a gift repentance is. I don't know how this word got so negative. It's one of the greatest words in the Bible. You go down a different street, and you're healthy, and you're free. You're free. Our kind, gracious Heavenly Father, you have, we have received a calling from you. What a gift. We worship you today. We honor you today. Now, for those in this room that need to give their lives to you, I pray they'll do so. I pray that the ones in this room, that me included, will all work on our list of 10 and, and go forward, that we won't repeat those patterns that aren't healthy and helping us spiritually. I thank you for our church. I thank you for all these wonderful friends. Uh, now, let us leave church in alignment with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.